Section 14 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson. Section 14. Twelve o'clock, Saturday, noon. Just now he has sent me up by Mrs. Jukes the following proposals so here are the honourable intentions all at once laid open they are my dear parents to make me a vile kept mistress which i hope i shall always detest the thoughts of but you'll see how they are accommodated to what i should have most desired could i have honestly promoted it your welfare and happiness i have answered them as i am sure you'll approve and i am prepared for the worst for though i fear there will be nothing omitted to ruin me and though my poor strength will not be able to defend me yet i will be innocent of crime in my intention and in the sight of god and to him leave the avenging of all my wrongs time and manner i shall write to you my answer against his articles and hope the best though i fear the worst but if i should come home to you ruined and undone and may not be able to look you in the face yet pity and inspirit the poor pamela to make her little remnant of life easy for long i shall not survive my disgrace and you may be assured it shall not be my fault if it be my misfortune to mrs pamela andrews the following articles are proposed to your serious consideration and let me have an answer in writing to them that i may take my resolutions accordingly only remember that i will not be trifled with and what you give for answer will absolutely decide your fate without expostulation or farther trouble this is my answer forgive sir the spirit your poor servant is about to show in her answer to your articles not to be warm and in earnest on such an occasion as the present would show a degree of guilt that i hope my soul abhors i will not trifle with you nor act like a person doubtful of her own mind for it wants not one moment's consideration with me and i therefore return the answer following let what will be the consequence one if you can convince me that the hated person has had no encouragement from you in his addresses and that you have no inclination for him in preference to me then i will offer the following proposals to you which i will punctually make good one as to the first article sir it may behoove me that i may not deserve in your opinion the opprobrious terms of forward and artful and such like to declare solemnly that mr williams never had the least encouragement from me as to what you hint and i believe his principal motive was the apprehended duty of his function quite contrary to his apparent interest to assist a person he thought in distress you may sir the rather believe me when i declare that i know not the man breathing i would wish to marry and that the only one i could honour more than another is the gentleman who of all others seeks my everlasting dishonour two i will directly make you a present of five hundred guineas for your own use which you may dispose of to any purpose you please and will give it absolutely into the hands of any person you shall appoint to receive it and expect no favour in return till you are satisfied in the possession of it two as to your second proposal let the consequence be what it will i reject it with all my soul money sir is not my chief good 
may god almighty desert me whenever it is and whenever for the sake of that i can give up my title to that blessed hope which will stand me instead at a time when millions of gold will not purchase one happy moment of reflection on a past misspent life three i will likewise directly make over to you a purchase i lately made in kent which brings in two hundred and fifty pounds per annum clear of all deductions this shall be made over to you in full property for your life and for the lives of any children to perpetuity that you may happen to have and your father shall be immediately put into possession of it in trust for these purposes and the management of it will yield a comfortable subsistence to him and your mother for life and i will make up any deficiencies if such should happen to that clear sum and allow him fifty pounds per annum besides for his life and that of your mother for his care and management of this your estate three your third proposal sir i reject for the same reason and am sorry you could think my poor honest parents would enter into their part of it and be concerned for the management of an estate which would be owing to the prostitution of their poor daughter forgive sir my warmth on this occasion but you know not the poor man and the poor woman my ever dear father and mother if you think that they would not much rather choose to starve in a ditch or rot in a noisome dungeon than accept of the fortune of a monarch upon such wicked terms i dare not say all that my full mind suggests to me on this grievous occasion but indeed sir you know them not nor shall the terrors of death in its most frightful form i hope through god's assisting grace ever make me act unworthy of such poor honest parents for i will moreover extend my favour to any other of your relations that you may think worthy of it or that are valued by you for your fourth proposal i take upon me sir to answer as the third if i have any friends that want the favour of the great may they ever want it if they are capable of desiring it on unworthy terms five i will besides order patterns to be sent you for choosing four complete suits of rich clothes that you may appear with reputation as if you were my wife and will give you two diamond rings and two pair of earrings and diamond necklace that were bought by my mother to present to miss tomlins if the match that was proposed between her and me had been brought to effect and i will confer upon you still other gratuities as i shall find myself obliged by your good behaviour and affection five fine clothes sir become not me nor have i any ambition to wear them i have greater pride in my poverty and meanness than i should have in dress and finery believe me sir i think such things less become the humble-born pamela than the rags your good mother raised me from your rings sir your necklace and your earrings will better befit ladies of degree than me and to lose the best jewel my virtue would be poorly recompensed by those you propose to give me what should i think when i looked upon my finger or saw in the glass those diamonds on my neck and in my ears but that they were the price of my honesty and that i wore those jewels outwardly because i had none inwardly six now pamela will you see by this what a value i set upon the free will of a person already in my power 
and who if these proposals are not accepted shall find that i have not taken all these pains and risked my reputation as i have done without resolving to gratify my passion for you at all adventures and if you refuse without making any terms at all six i know sir by woeful experience that i am in your power i know all the resistance i can make will be poor and weak and perhaps stand me in little stead i dread your will to ruin me is as great as your power yet sir will i dare to tell you that i will make no free-will offering of my virtue all that i can do poor as it is i will do to convince you that your offers shall have no part in my choice and if i cannot escape the violence of man i hope by god's grace i shall have nothing to reproach myself for not doing all in my power to avoid my disgrace and then i can safely appeal to the great god my only refuge and protector with this consolation that my will bore no part in my violation seven you shall be mistress of my person and fortune as much as if the foolish ceremony had passed all my servants shall be yours and you shall choose any two persons to attend yourself either male or female without any control of mine and if your conduct be such that i have reason to be satisfied with it i know not but will not engage for this that i may after a twelve months cohabitation marry you for if my love increases for you as it has done for many months past it will be impossible for me to deny you anything and now pamela consider well it is in your power to oblige me on such terms as will make yourself and all your friends happy but this will be over this very day irrevocably over and you shall find all you would be thought to fear without the least benefit arising from it to yourself and i beg you'll well weigh the matter and comply with my proposals and i will instantly set about securing to you the full effect of them and let me if you value yourself experience a grateful return on this occasion and i'll forgive all that's past seven i have not once dared to look so high as to such a proposal as your seventh article contains hence have proceeded all my little abortive artifices to escape from the confinement you have put me in although you promised to be honourable to me your honour well i know would not let you stoop to be so mean and so unworthy a slave as the poor pamela all i desire is to be permitted to return to my native meanness unviolated what have i done sir to deserve it should be otherwise for the obtaining of this though i would not have married your chaplain yet would i have run away with your meanest servant if i had thought i could have got safe to my beloved poverty i heard you once say sir that a certain great commander who could live upon lentils might well refuse the bribes of the greatest monarch and i hope as i can contentedly live at the meanest rate and think not myself above the lowest condition that i am also above making an exchange of my honesty for all the riches of the indies when i come to be proud and vain of gaudy apparel and outside finery then which i hope will never be may i rest my principal good in such vain trinkets and despise for them the more solid ornaments of a good fame and a chastity inviolate 
Give me leave to say, sir, in answer to what you hint, that you may in a twelve-months' time marry me on the continuance of my good behaviour, that this weighs less with me, if possible, than anything else you have said. For in the first place there is an end of all merit, and all good behaviour on my side, if I have now any, the moment I consent to your proposals. And I should be so far from expecting such an honour, that I will pronounce that I should be most unworthy of it. What, sir, would the world say, were you to marry your harlot, that a gentleman of your rank in life should stoop not only to the base-born Pamela, but to a base-born prostitute? Little, sir, as I know of the world, I am not to be caught by a bait so poorly covered as this. Yet, after all, dreadful is the thought that I, a poor, weak, friendless, unhappy creature, am too full in your power. But permit me, sir, to pray, as I now write on my bended knees, that before you resolve upon my ruin, you will weigh well the matter. Hitherto, sir, though you have taken large strides to this crying sin, yet are you on this side the commission of it. When once it is done, nothing can recall it. And where will be your triumph? What glory will the spoils of such a weak enemy yield you? Let me but enjoy my poverty with honesty, is all my prayer, and I will bless you and pray for you every moment of my life. Think, oh, think, before it is yet too late. What stings, what remorse will attend your dying hour when you come to reflect that you have ruined, perhaps soul and body, a wretched creature whose only pride was her virtue, and how pleased you will be on the contrary, if in that tremendous moment you shall be able to acquit yourself of this foul crime, and to plead in your own behalf, that you suffered the earnest supplications of an unhappy wretch to prevail with you to be innocent yourself, and let her remain so. May God Almighty, whose mercy so lately saved you from the peril of perishing in deep waters, on which I hope you will give me cause to congratulate you. Touch your heart in my favour, and save you from this sin, and me from this ruin, and to him do I commit my cause, and to him will I give the glory, and night and day pray for you, if I may be permitted to escape this great evil, your poor, oppressed, broken-spirited servant. I took a copy of this for your perusal, my dear parents, if I shall ever be so happy to see you again, for I hope my conduct will be approved of by you, and at night, when Sir Simon was gone, he sent for me down. Well, said he, have you considered my proposals? Yes, sir, said I, I have, and there is my answer. But pray, let me not see you read it. Is it your bashfulness, said he, or your obstinacy that makes you not choose I should read it before you? I offered to go away, and he said, Don't run from me. I won't read it till you are gone. But, said he, tell me, Pamela, whether you comply with my proposals or not. Sir, said I, you will see presently. Pray don't hold me, for he took my hand. Said he, Did you well consider before you answered? I did, sir, said I. If it be not what you think will please me, said he, dear girl, take it back again and reconsider it. For if I have this as your absolute answer, and I don't like it, you are undone. For I will not sue meanly 
where I can command. I fear, said he, it is not what I like by your manner. And let me tell you that I cannot bear denial. If the terms I have offered are not sufficient, I will augment them to two-thirds of my estate. For, said he, and swore a dreadful oath, I cannot live without you, and since the thing is gone so far, I will not. And so he clasped me in his arms in such a manner as quite frightened me, and kissed me two or three times. I got from him, and run upstairs, and went to the closet, and was quite uneasy and fearful. In an hour's time he called Mrs. Jukes down to him, and I heard him very high in passion, and all about me, and I heard her say it was his own fault, there would be an end of all my complaining and perverseness if he was once resolved, and other most impudent aggravations. I am resolved not to go to bed this night if I can help it. Lie still, lie still, my poor fluttering heart. What will become of me? Almost twelve o'clock, Saturday night. He sent Mrs. Jukes about ten o'clock to tell me to come to him. Where, said I? I'll show you, said she. I went down three or four steps, and saw her making to his chamber, the door of which was open. So I said, I cannot go there. Don't be foolish, said she, but come. No harm will be done to you. Well, said I, if I die, I cannot go there. I heard him say, let her come, or it shall be worse for her. I can't bear, said he, to speak to her myself. Well, said I, I cannot come. Indeed, I cannot. And so I went up again into my closet, expecting to be fetched by force. But she came up soon after, and bid me make haste to bed. Said I, I will not go to bed this night. That's certain. Then, said she, you shall be made to come to bed, and Nan and I will undress you. I knew neither prayers nor tears would move this wicked woman. So I said, I am sure you will let master in, and I shall be undone. Mighty piece of undone, she said. But he was too much exasperated against me to be so familiar with me, she would assure me. I said she, you'll be disposed of another way soon, I can tell you for your comfort, and I hope your husband will have your obedience, though nobody else can have it. No husband in the world, said I, shall make me do an unjust or base thing. She said, that would be soon tried and Nan coming in. What, said I, am I to have two bedfellows again, these warm nights? Yes, said she, slippery one you are, till you can have one good one instead of us. Said I, Mrs. Jukes, don't talk nastily to me. I see you are beginning again, and I shall affront you, maybe, for next to bad actions are bad words, for they could not be spoken if they were not in the heart come to bed purity said she you are a nun such i suppose indeed said i i can't come to bed and it will do you no harm to let me stay all night in the great chair nan said she undress my young lady if she won't let you i'll help you and if neither of us can do it quietly we'll call my master to do it for us though said she i think it an office worthier of monsieur colbrand you are very wicked said i i know it said she i am a jezebel and a london prostitute you know you did great feats said i to tell my master all this poor stuff but you did not tell him how you beat me no lambkin said she 
a word I had not heard a good while. That I left for you to tell, and you was going to do it if the vulture had not taken the wolf's part and bid the poor innocent lamb be silent. I said I, no matter for your fleers, Mrs. Jukes, though I can have neither justice nor mercy here and cannot be heard in my defence, yet a time will come, maybe, when I shall be heard, and when your own guilt will strike you dumb. I, spirit, said she, and the vulture, too. Must we both be dumb? Why, that lambkin will be pretty. Then, said the wicked one, you'll have all the talk to yourself. Then how will the tongue of the pretty lambkin bleat out innocence and virtue and honesty, till the whole trial be at an end? You're a wicked woman, that's certain, said I. And if you thought anything of another world, could not talk thus. But no wonder. It shows what hands I'm got into. Ay, so it does, said she. But I beg you'll undress and come to bed, or I believe your innocence won't keep you from still worse hands. I will come to bed, said I, if you will let me have the keys in my own hand, not else, if I can help it. Yes, said she, and then, hey, for another contrivance, another escape. No, no, said I, all my contrivances are over, I'll assure you. Pray, let me have the keys, and I will come to bed. She came to me, and took me in her huge arms as if I was a feather. Said she, I do this to show you what a poor resistance you can make against me if I please to exert myself. And so, Lambkin, don't say to your wolf I won't come to bed. And set me down and tapped me on the neck. Ah, said she, thou art a pretty creature, tis true, but so obstinate so full of spirit if thy strength was but answerable to that thou wouldst run away with us all and this great house too on thy back but undress undress i tell you well said i i see my misfortunes make you very merry and very witty too but i will love you if you will humour me with the keys of the chamber doors are you sure you will love me said she now speak your conscience why, said I, you must not put it so close, neither would you, if you thought you had not given reason to doubt it. But I will love you as well as I can. I would not tell a willful lie, and if I did, you would not believe me, after your hard usage of me. Well, said she, that's all fair, I own. But, Nan, pray pull off my young lady's shoes and stockings. No, pray don't, said I. I will come to bed presently, since I must. And so I went to the closet and scribbled a little about this idle chit-chat. And she, being importunate, I was forced to go to bed, but with some of my clothes on, as the former night. And she let me hold the two keys, for there are two locks, there being a double door. And so I got a little sleep that night, having had none for two or three nights before. I can't imagine what she means, but Nan offered to talk a little once or twice, and she snubbed her and said, I charge you, wench, don't open your lips before me, and if you are asked any questions by Mrs. Pamela, don't answer her one word while I am here, but she is a lordly woman to the maid-servants, and that has always been her character. Oh, how unlike good Mrs. Jarvis in everything! Sunday morning, a thought came into my head. I meant no harm, but it was a little bold, for seeing my master dressing to go to church, and his chariot getting ready, 
I went to my closet, and I writ. The prayers of this congregation are earnestly desired for a gentleman of great worth and honor, who labors under a temptation to exert his great power to ruin a poor, distressed, worthless maiden, and also the prayers of this congregation are earnestly desired by a poor distressed creature for the preservation of her virtue and innocence mrs jukes came up always writing said she and would see it and straight all that ever i could say carried it down to my master he looked upon it and said tell her she shall soon see how her prayers are answered she is very bold but as she has rejected all my favours, her reckoning for all is not far off. I looked after him out of the window, and he was charmingly dressed. To be sure he is a handsome, fine gentleman. What pity his heart is not as good as his appearance. Why can't I hate him? But don't be uneasy, if you should see this, for it is impossible I should love him, for his vices all ugly him over, as I may say my master sends word that he shall not come home for dinner i suppose he dines with this sir simon darnford i am much concerned for poor mr williams mrs jukes says he is confined still and takes on much all his trouble is brought upon him for my sake this grieves me much my master it seems will have his money from him this is very hard for it is three fifty pounds he gave him as he thought as a salary for three years that he has been with him but there was no agreement between them and he absolutely depended on my master's favour to be sure it was the more generous of him to run these risks for the sake of oppressed innocence and i hope he will meet with his reward in due time alas for me i dare not plead for him that would raise my oppressor's jealousy more and i have not interest to save myself sunday evening mrs jukes has received a line from my master i wonder what it is for his chariot is come home without him but she will tell me nothing so it is in vain to ask her i am so fearful of plots and tricks i know not what to do everything i suspect for now my disgrace is avowed what can i think to be sure the worst will be attempted I can only pour out my soul in prayer to God for his blessed protection. But if I must suffer, let me not be long a mournful survivor. Only let me not shorten my own time sinfully. This woman left upon the table in the chamber this letter of my master's to her, and I bolted myself in till I had transcribed it. You'll see how tremblingly, by the lines, I wish poor Mr. William's release at any rate but this letter makes my heart ache yet i have another day's reprieve thank god mrs jukes i have been so pressed on william's affairs that i shall set out this afternoon in sir simon's chariot and with parson peters who is his intercessor for stamford and shall not be back till to-morrow evening if then as to your ward i am thoroughly incensed against her she has withstood her time and now would she sign and seal to my articles it is too late i shall discover something perhaps by him and will on my return let her know that all her ensnaring loveliness shall not save her from the fate that awaits her but let her know nothing of this 
lest it put her fruitful mind upon plots and artifices be sure trust her not without another with you at night lest she venture the window in her foolish rashness for i shall require her at your hands yours etc i had but just finished taking a copy of this and laid the letter where i had it and unbolted the door when she came up in a great fright for fear i should have seen it but i being in my closet and that lying as she left it she did not mistrust oh said she i was afraid you had seen my master's letter here which i carelessly left on the table i wish said i i had known that why sure said she if you had you would not have offered to read my letters indeed said i i should at this time if it had been in my way do let me see it well said she i wish poor mr williams well off i understand my master is gone to make up matters with him which is very good to be sure added she he is a very good gentleman and very forgiving why said i as if i had known nothing of the matter how can he make up matters with him is not mr williams at stamford yes said she i believe so but parson peters pleads for him and he is gone with him to stamford and will not be back to-night so we have nothing to do but to eat our suppers betimes and to go to bed ay that's pure said i and i shall have good rest this night i hope so said she you might every night but for your own idle fears you are afraid of your friends when none are near you ay that's true said i for i have not one near me so i have one more good honest night before me what the next may be i know not and so i'll try to take in a good deal of sleep while i can be a little easy therefore here i say good-night my dear parents for i have no more to write about this night and though his letter shocks me yet i will be as brisk as i can that she mayn't suspect i have seen it tuesday night for the future i will always mistrust most when appearances look fairest oh your poor daughter what has she not suffered since what i wrote on sunday night my worst trial and my fearfullest danger oh how i shudder to write you an account of this wicked interval of time for my dear parents will you not be too much frightened and affected with my distress when i tell you that his journey to stamford was all abominable pretence for he came home privately and had well-nigh effected all his vile purposes and the ruin of your poor daughter and that by such a plot as i was not in the least apprehensive of and oh you'll hear what a vile and unwomanly part that wicked wretch mrs jukes acted in it i left off with letting you know how much i was pleased that i had one night's reprieve added to my honesty but i had less occasion to rejoice than ever as you will judge by what i have said already take then the dreadful story as well as i can relate it the maid nan is a little apt to drink if she can get at liquor and mrs jukes happened or designed as is too probable to leave a bottle of cherry brandy in her way and the wench drank some of it more than she should and when she came in to lay the cloth mrs jukes perceived it and fell a rating at her most sadly for she has too many faults of her own to suffer any of the like sort in anybody else 
if she can help it, and she bid her get out of her sight when we had supped, and go to bed, to sleep off her liquor before we came to bed. And so the poor maid went muttering upstairs. End of section 14